1776, the American merchant vessel Petrox Explorer has just set sail from the port of Surabaya in search of oil. What they find will shock the world. We may be sailing into the history books. She's alive! You know, maybe my luck has changed. They will discover an uncharted island that is the home of the most incredible creature on the face of the earth. A creature called Kong. Dino De Laurentiis presents the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. Fantastic adventure. experienced before. With Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, and introducing Jessica Lange as the beauty who charmed the beast. And starring the eighth wonder of the world, King Kong. King Kong, 1976, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, as he so famously said at the time, when Jaws die, nobody cared, nobody cried when Jaws die, when my Kong dies, everybody cries, that was his famous <laughs> quote, uh, like, so, you know, I'm guessing you weren't old enough to have seen this movie in a theater, right? So you didn't... Absolutely not. This movie beat me into the world by about two years. Okay, so there you go. So you saw this on cable, I'm assuming, right? Uh, I saw it on VHS tape. It was 1985 or 6 in Saudi Arabia. I saw it on VHS. Wow. That's okay. my memory. That's my first memory of this movie. So, like, I mean, is this a beloved movie to you? You were very excited to talk about it when I reached it, when I said, hey, anybody want to talk about King Kong? And you wrote me immediately, and I was like, wow. I was like, okay. ooh, 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 ooh. I, I, made, I made Kong noises. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so. uh, you know, I, I am a defender of this movie, and I think that's why I enjoy talking about it, because I think that it has had dung flung at it for decades at this point as being, you know, sort of an unworthy, uh, you know, follow-up or, or, you know, surrogate to, to the Kong name. And, and the truth is, I think uh, we, ha we have now three versions of the original Kong story. Two of them are remakes, and I would argue that the, the Dino De Laurentiis produced one is superior to the Peter Jackson one uh, that, that came, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was not old enough to see this in the theater. Uh, this movie does not predate me, but I was, I was too young to have seen it. But the poster uh, by, oh, by John Berkey, I believe is the artist's name, of, of Kong straddling the, 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 the Twin Towers, 
that loomed large in my imagination as a kid because it was on every product. I mean, Dino De Laurentiis knew how to merchandise his movies. There was a board game. There was a lunchbox. There was a, a little – there were Mego dolls. There were model kits. There was a little thing where you could uh, – it was like a straw where you, you drank from it with, with enough subsequent pressure. You shot Kong, Kong up the uh, World Trade Tower. Uh, so uh, that's a toy probably not real popular nowadays. But, uh, I mean, it was it was just, a, yeah. like, one of the great images of 70s cinema. And, you know, De Laurentiis, yeah, De, and De Laurentiis was one of the great showmen. I mean, he, 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 had that, he had that poster commissioned long before the movie ever got shot. And, you know, you see that poster as a kid, you're like, I have to see this movie. This is, <laughs> here's, here's Kong holding the, the, the blonde girl in his one hand, and he's crushing jets in the other, and he's straddling the Some kind the of weird towers. spaceship-looking thing. Yeah. Oh my God. It's an amazing <laughs> painting. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so I don't, I don't recall having seen the movie until probably maybe around, around probably around the same time, like on VHS. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, my memory of it was not great. I was like, eh, I don't, okay. And so my memory of the movie was that it isn't very good. And then uh, for the occasion of Kong Skull Island coming out, which I was really excited about, I was okay. like, well, let's, let's rewatch this. So I rewatched 76 and i have to say i've come back around i actually think this is a pretty good movie i, I agree with you for anyone who hasn't seen it it's directed by john Gil- gullerman gillerman i'm not sure how you pronounce his i think it's gillerman yeah oh, gillerman okay his previous his previous film was the towering inferno he really wasn't much in the way of like a an artiste he was kind of like a, a journeyman director yeah a hired gun Hired Gun. There you go. Perfect, perfect time. Perfect uh, name for him. Now, I am curious. Uh, this is a factoid that I found on IMDb, and you know, let the buyer beware when it comes to IMDb factoids. But apparently, some of the directors considered for this movie before they got to Gillerman were Roman Polanski, <laughs> Michael Winner, and Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> it's just like yeah, right. yeah. I, I can't picture any of those guys directing a King Kong movie. Well, I mean, I mean, but I love the the, the phrase "considered," right? Because that's like saying, you know, I'm. I'm considering Margot Robbie as a girlfriend. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I've, I've long considered Scarlett Johansson for a girlfriend. And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I can't picture any of those guys helming this movie. So they got Gillerman, Gillerman who did it, an able job. But the, the movie, uh, it stars Jeff Bridges. Featuring uh, one of the great, uh, when I say great, I mean terrible beards in all of cinema. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't look at him and not think him as the dude. Well, I, that's I in in my mind in in the King Kong shared universe. This is just a prequel to the Big Lebowski. <laughs> After his experiences with that ape, he just got extremely high. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like. Your opinion, man. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 Jeff Bridges as Jack Prescott. Jack Prescott. He's a pri- he's a primatologist. He's a primatologist, animal rights activist. Yeah, who sneaks aboard this uh, ship uh, owned by the Pet Rocks Oil Company? Pet Rocks. Now there you go, another '70s artifact, the Pet Rock. Yeah. Uh, the Pet <laughs> Pet Rocks Oil Company. And uh, it is run by Fred Wilson, played by Charles Grodin, who also is sporting some amazing facial hair in this oh, movie. Yeah. Uh, that mustache. It's such a, this, I mean, just just from what you've described right now, what a perfect '70s artifact! You the, know, you've got the, the hippie animal rights guy, the evil oil corporation. I mean, it's great. You know? Yeah, yeah. This, this is a very '70s movie, and Jessica Lange in her film debut plays Duan, who is yeah. a, uh, a woman that they find uh, on her life raft after the 
sort of pleasure ship that she's on crashes, uh, and, and as she mentions, the only reason she survived is because everybody was downstairs, down the, the below decks watching uh, Deep Throat uh, when the ship, <laughs> the ship sinks. So, I mean, in terms of the, the plot, I mean, this movie's basically the same story as the original. It's a bunch of people that go to this remote island and they discover Kong. The, the big difference, is, I guess, is in, the, is in the first third, is that uh, Fred Wilson is is going to find oil on this island. Yeah. They're not going to make a movie. They're going to find oil. And, of course, they get there and they realize that the oil uh, still needs to be in the ground for about another 10,000 years before it's usable. And so Fred Wilson is sort of stuck because he's made this big deal to his bosses about, like, we got to go get oil. And he realizes, well, here's this giant monkey. Why don't we yeah. kidnap the giant monkey and bring it back and it'll be a mascot for our oil company. And, and so after that, the film follows the basic you know, plot structure of the original film. You know, I said I didn't have a great memory of this movie, but I think the, the King Kong effects are really pretty good by Rick Baker. Yeah. Uh, there's a little too much of a guy in a monkey suit in terms of it being a, instead of a, a, a an animatronic, you know, puppet. But the whole idea of them grabbing King Kong and they turn him into an oil mascot is tragic. Yeah. You know, like it's really sad. It's very, it's very seventies. But at the same time, it's I really got upset watching them truss up poor King Kong and turn him into this thing. It's it, it, the movie's much better than than I remember. Is I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I the way I look at it, and and again, I, I'm somebody who I always throughout my life I was always like, you know, I, I like the seventies Kong, and that's always been kind of an unpopular opinion. But it's definitely I feel like what you're describing your your experience and you know your view of the film has really become much more normative again in the 11 years or so since the peter jackson version because it's almost like we we now have the ability to compare and contrast uh, different approaches to remaking king kong and, right. and the one thing i can say and and i like aspects of, of the jackson movie but i mean it's it's so it's it's indulgent and it's it's almost like it's it's such a love letter to the original that it's almost laborious. Mm-hmm. And and what I appreciate about the '70s one is, at the very least, because if if we say, well, we're going to remake King Kong anyway, like if we get past the idea of that being sort of a sacrilegious thing, then you say, well, you might as well do something different with it. Yes. And and that's what I can appreciate about the '70s one is, well, they they did something. They updated it to the modern times. They made it contemporary. They added a, a degree of camp and humor to it. So at the very least, if you watch the two of them back to back, there's at least it's a different experience. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely the case. I didn't remember that they updated it for the '70s. Like I said, my oh, okay. I, I, my my memory of it was so hazy. I mean, obviously, if you're straddling the, the World Trade Center, it's updated to the '70s. But I didn't, you know. This film, you mentioned the camp value. Yeah, I mean, this movie was written by Lorenzo Semple, who was right. one of the guys behind the Batman TV show. And I think there was a lot of that, you know, up until, for people too young to remember, up until Richard Donner's Superman, uh, camp was basically the way these things were done. Uh, you know, like, it was kind of like everybody just considered, and there are some jokes here that are a little rough going through. At one point where Kong is, is holding Dewan, and she calls him a, a male chauvinist ape. And that, that line, I was like, oh, boy, you know, uh, <laughs> that's a little rough going. And I think you're right in that when you compare it now to the Peter Jackson version, Peter Jackson just basically just remade the original. Yeah. And that movie doesn't have a whole anything real new to say. That's exactly Th- right. This film is saying, you know, I mean, this, this movie is made in 1976. It's only a couple of years after the OPEC oil crisis. 
So, you know, where we were going to get our natural resources was big on people's minds. Thank goodness that we've gotten off oil in the subsequent <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> we learned our lesson, clearly. And we learned our lesson, clearly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so th- thank God for that. But, I mean, you know, like Fred Wilson, uh, the Charles Grodin character, I mean, he's constantly being sort of admonished by Jack Prescott, by Jeff Bridges, saying, you know, you're, you're in oil, you're going to rape the earth, you're going to ruin this natural habitat. And Fred Wilson couldn't care less. He absolutely couldn't care. His, his attitude is, if there's oil and we have the means to grab it, we're going to. And he feels nothing about violating this sacred island. First of all, to, get to try and get the oil, and then when he can't get the oil, to rob it of its, of its god. He, feels, he has absolutely no compunctions about that whatsoever. And, you know, that's, you can't help but look and say, well, that's pretty much where America's at right now, unfortunately, is that same sort of mentality of, like, we're just literally going to do whatever we want because we have the might to make it so. And that's, yeah. you know, like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very, it's tragic. I think, I think the only thing that would make it even more contemporary is if Fred Wilson made the natives pay for the wall. That, <laughs> that, that he ended up breaking, you know. He has a safari hat on. He doesn't have that red trucker hat. But otherwise, right. yeah, it would be basically the same thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, one of the things that I, I think is a little weak about, we mentioned, is Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin is not the greatest villain in this movie. Like, he's so cartoony. No, I, I mean, him and Jeff Bridges are in, like, two different movies. <laughs> right. Like, Jeff Bridges, I mean, and I think, honestly, that's sort of the genius of the movie, is Jeff Bridges plays it absolutely straight. I mean, using the Batman analogy, Jeff Bridges is Adam West in this movie. Right, right. You know, he, and, and that's what makes it work. Because, again, it, you know, like like the, the Batman show, you don't appreciate the camp value as a kid. You don't appreciate the humor. It's just a straight-ahead adventure movie. And then right. as a grown-up, you can see the jokes and the whatnot, and that, you know, you can appreciate it on a different level. Speaking of uh, things on a different level, I'm really was sort of shocked about how much they don't really try to hide the fact that uh, Dwan, played by, you know, Jessica Lang, really seems to kind of like the sexual attention she gets from King Kong. Because um, there's a scene where she gets caped in mud, and he picks her up and puts her under a waterfall, and it's set to this sort of sparkly music and whatever. Yeah. And then Kong blow-dries her. With yeah, his, you know, with, and... which I, I have to imagine that would smell <laughs> awful. Like, if you're being subjected to that. I remember thinking that watching the movie. I'm like, that, I can't imagine that that's pleasant. <laughs> and you know, I mean, it's it's fun to watch the giant animatronic Kong, you know, go do the Dizzy Gillespie thing, where his cheeks get really large and he blows on her. But they keep showing Jessica Lang, and she looks kind of enraptured. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is supposed to be a kids' movie. I don't, and then you know, and then later on, he's poking at her, and she looks genuinely kind of excited over this and i'm like isn't this supposed to be a kid's movie i don't what you know a little a little surprised of how sort of explicit i mean this movie's rated pg uh because it wasn't going to be rated r but i'm like i don't know they really didn't bother to hide the fact that the duan really seems to be enjoying kong's attention yeah well it's it's a different take than than fey ray obviously who is like she's screaming for about 75 percent of of, uh, her screen time it is very surreal to me to watch Jessica Lang, who, of course, I regard as one of you know one of one of the great actresses of cinema in the sure. last quarter century, and of course one of the great careers, and managing to do a career of almost exclusively very high-minded stuff. Yeah, I mean, she's I think she's won two Oscars, uh, and here she is playing a dimwit, 
yeah. in, in a King Kong movie. You know, and she has she has lots of scenes where it's her in that giant, giant animatronic hand talking to King Kong, and I have to wonder so with someone of her fierce intelligence. I'm trying to imagine what that was like for her to sit there and talk to this giant King Kong puppet. Yeah, I mean, that, and and she she mentioned you know in interviews later about how I mean it. it even though this was kind of her introduction to the world, it almost stalled her career because people assumed that she wasn't a very good actress. And so it, it was almost like, it, even though this was this was her, her coming out party, so to speak, it, it put her like five paces behind. Right, because I don't think she did another movie for a couple of years after this. Yeah, yeah and then when the, I got to say, man, I had such a crush on Jessica Lange in this movie. She's gorgeous in this movie. And, and they give her a very Charlie's Angels costume when she's on the beach. Yeah. She's in like cut-off short shorts and like a halter top. I mean, she... She looks magnificent, and there. Oh, good lord! Uh, she and Jeff Bridges, uh, Jack Prescott, of course, hit it off immediately. And he has a line after King Kong has put the moves on Duan. Uh, then they they make a they plan to get together about uh, in her cabin, and he has a line where he says that ape had the right idea. <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and he can, and he delivers it with a straight face. He does. And I mean, I'll tell you, between this and Tron, I mean, Jeff Bridges is like a, uh, an indispensable part of my childhood. You know, I just, I, I, in my mind, Jeff Bridges was was like up there with Harrison Ford, where he's just one of my movie heroes. You know, he's in a lot of movies. You know, you go back and look at his career; he's been in a lot of interesting things. He's a guy that the man's, the man's a national treasure. Yeah, he stretches back to you know movies where you're like, wow, he he was in movies with. You know, like Robert Ryan and like all these guys from cinema yeah. past. And you're like, he's still around with us. I'm, apparently him and Lang are still friends to this day. And like they have a sense of humor about it, that they were both in this movie. I mean, the movie sure. was a big success. It was a really that's big the, hit. That's the thing, right? And it, this is, it's one of these retroactive things where people are like, oh, you know, that Kong remake that flopped. And it's like, dude, it did not flop. It was a massive hit. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, if you want to look at it in terms of its placement in history, it had if we want to call it misfortune, it had the misfortune of coming out just a few months before this little movie called Star Wars, <laughs> which became the greatest movie of all time. So at that point, well, sure, Kong's success is suddenly not as as Kong-like, if you will. Uh, but it was it was a massive hit. You know, the sequel was a whole other thing. But I mean, the, the 76 Kong, it was it was uh, critically pretty well reviewed and it did well. So you know, we've, we've, we've done it a disservice is, is my, my conclusion. Yeah. I love the, uh, I loved reading that apparently when, when Dino Laurentiis was first getting it developed, he originally told his effects crew, he literally wanted them to make a 40 foot high animatronic King Kong yeah. with buildings to scale. And it was his, his team. I think it was the Carlo Rimbaldi was, was one of the guys who had to tell him that's impossible, Dino. We can't make that. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> we, can't, we can't build a 40-foot-high King Kong that will move around and do stuff. So, we thought, oh, okay. So we'll make a giant head and we'll make some hands that can do it. And then, of course, again, most of the movie is a guy in a suit, which is um, yeah. Rick Baker. Rick Baker in, in the suit. suit. Yeah. yeah. Now, what do you think about the effects? I mean, in terms of how they hold up versus the original. I mean, I think you have to contextualize it with the time. You know, it's like anything. I mean, if if we want to be picky about it, we can be like, oh, well, it looks like a guy in a suit. And my response is, well, that's because it's a guy in a suit. You know, um, I I think that it's it's like any. I mean, Godzilla in the in the Japanese movies is a guy in a suit. We, you know, mentally, you just have to sort of tick that box. You know, I think we have to look at it again as as a product of its time. And you know, the certainly the the animatronic effects on the face 
are astonishing. You know, I mean, it, it was certainly unlike anything they'd seen until till then. I would say, you know, I think that if you watch the original King Kong, the the, the 1930s one, the 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 Kong model does not look exactly like a gorilla. He looks gorilla esque. Yes. And I think that was by design. So I think that we lose a little bit of the mystique when we just make him into a giant gorilla. And that's certainly something, again, going back to the Peter Jackson thing, Peter Jackson carried that even forward, where it's just, he's just a giant ape. And I think that what Peter Jackson did arguably started with, with the 76 one, where, the, again, they, they sacrificed the mystique. And that's that's a little bit disappointing, but... What do you do? Yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that. I really would. Uh, and the scenes where, uh, I mean, the, some of the stuff where you can see that it's a human fate, like there's human eyes behind the mask, yeah. I, I think are effective in, in some cases. Like when, when they manage to trap Kong uh, yeah. in the pit, they, they knock him out with the smoke ray, and they... Um, and you, the, the, they keep the camera outside of the pit, and you just see Kong's hand as he slowly descends into the pit because he's being knocked out by the, the smoke bombs. Yeah. And it's they, they let all the music drain out, and it just becomes very quiet, and you just hear the, sort of the rustling of all the leaves and the palm fronds and whatever. As Kong, and it's like, and then later they, they cut to Kong trussed up in the inside the oil tanker. I mean, you know, the metaphor of Kong being a natural resource that we were exploiting couldn't be more explicit because here he's literally being held in the tank where we would be putting the oil and and Kong is laying there and he looks so sad and you really get something from that face that it's like Kong is cognizant enough of his predicament that he's sad, you know, like, and it's, it's really very powerful. You're like, you know, it's, you, you're so mad at, the humans for doing this to this noble beast and that he is aware of what's happening to him. It's really quite upsetting. Well, and, and I think again, that's, that's something that to me, you know, that quote you alluded to from, from De Laurentiis at the top of the show, I think that's a concept that came in with the 76 one, because I don't think we sympathized with the original Kong to the same extent that we do both in this one and in the, the 2005 one. I mean, I think, we feel bad for him to an extent, but but th- that film is much more framed around the, the human point of view than that of King Kong. I think I think Kong as a sympathetic character is an, an innovation with with the seventy six one. That would be my argument, anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I completely agree with that because yeah, the, in the the original, I mean, considering how much in the original Jack uh, uh, Carl Denham is really a giant dick in that movie. I mean, he, yeah. and the movie seems to sympathize with him for the most part, because of course the people that made it basically were Carl Denham. You That's know, right. They, you know, they were, they, they basically, Marion C. Cooper was Carl Denham. So of course, you know, he had no, they had no compunctions about, Hey, let's go to the crazy, you know, far off corners of the world and let's just look and see what's there. And if we can grab yeah. something and, you know, this movie is much more, this is Amer- an American, an imperialist country jamming its big ugly foot in this putatively preserved piece of nature and yanking it back for our entertainment or use or whatever and then when when um, when they finally bring the you know kong back to the the mainland uh there isn't he isn't trussed up for a show it's not like again it's not like in the original where it's it's like a you know like a broadway show it's we've turned him into a mascot and uh, it's done in a parking lot 
where a bunch of people are in bleachers and they're cheering and, you know, I, I mean, it couldn't literally be more a group of like ugly Americans, you know, these right. people just cheering, <laughs> Yahoo, you know, King. and then they reveal King Kong and he's, he's stuck in this cage and they put a giant crown on him. Right. And it's just like, oh, it's so, it's like, you just so, it's so like cheap and tawdry, tacky. tacky. And you're, yeah. first of all, the God, they took the effort to make a giant crown. And it's just like, wow, that was a lot of effort. <laughs> but I mean, just seeing him dressed up like that, you're just, it's just like every ugly, it's like, to me, when I look at those scenes of the people, Yahoo, I mean, they're looking at this giant noble beast and there he is trussed up in a cage and they're like, Yahoo! And they're yelling, and you're like, this is what everyone who lives outside of America thinks America is. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. this is the crowd. This is, this is these people. And, and, of course, you know, Fred Wilson's like, don't worry, this is a steel-reinforced cage. He cannot break free. And, of course, that's the cue for Kong to do exactly that. Yeah, one, once breaks. a movie character says that, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> set your watch. You know? <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, one of the things I thought was interesting is that Dwan, uh, Jessica Lange's character, she's not the nicest person in the world because no. she seems to toggle back and forth for having sympathy for Kong and then yeah. – once Fred Wilson says, well, you better go along with this or you'll never get another acting gig again, she she basically goes along with it, much to the chagrin yeah. of Jack Prescott. Well, and, and I love, I, I really, I mean, I think that, and we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I mean, I think what you're saying lends such poignancy to the film's closing moments um, where she finally has the fame that she wants, you know, and I love how, you know, it's it, she got what she wanted, but she loses everything else. She loses Jack. I mean, it. I mean, it's a thought-provoking ending, you know, for kind of what's meant to be a big, crowd-pleasing type flick, you know. Yeah, I mean, for a movie that's again made for families or at the very least, you know, kids to enjoy. Uh, I mean, it, it's. I think that the budget. I think some of the limitations of the budget starts to show near the end. So once Kong breaks free and he's basically romping around New York. You don't really get. Yeah. I don't get. You don't get the sense that there's like a lot of people upset about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody is in New York, from what it feels yeah. like. The, the entire city has like four people in it. I mean, things were loose in the new, in the seventies, but they weren't that loose. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I think a giant monkey running around would have instilled. I mean, they would have mentioned it on Saturday Live or something at the very least. <laughs> but um, but Kong escapes, and 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 so yeah, so then he ends up making it to the to the top of the Twin Towers, and something that they couldn't probably um uh, account for is because all those scenes is a guy gets again a, a guy in a monkey suit and the the helicopters the, the army bring comes out and the helicopter start firing on him and they riddle kong with bullets yeah and which to me this has been the one thing that always bugs me about this movie is you can't convince me that in 1976 the government like the, that 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 would have happened that they wouldn't in fact capture him and send him back like i just to me that like i can buy it for the 1930s being what i would assume was a less educated time but you're telling me that in 1976 this one of a kind ape like who would sign off on that to have well, him just turn into hamburger it doesn't make sense to me i, I think our current president would probably sign off on that but <laughs> touche <laughs> But but, but in 1976, that was uh, Jimmy Carter. He would have yeah. absolutely, yeah, he would have been like, let's capture that monkey and bring him back. To, yeah, absolutely would have been the case. But the, the thing that I don't think that they intended, and this is just because of the limitations of the special effects, is because it's a guy in a suit when, he, when he's getting riddled with bullets. And, yeah. you know, blood starts spurting out of King Kong. Yeah. And because you can't 
miniaturize water. Like, there's way more blood is shooting out of King Kong <laughs> than you ever would. Than, you know, when I was watching, it was like, this would be really upsetting for little kids to watch. Yeah, Kong, it's hard Kong to really, watch now. It's yeah. hard to watch as a grown-up. Yeah, I mean, his, blood, his, his fur starts getting matted down in blood, and I'm like, this is yeah. getting really heavy, you know. For but you know, <laughs> that's a that's a classic. Uh, you know, kids' movies in the seventies were kind of dark in a lot of ways. They were they were figuring kids in the seventies could handle it. The good old days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I you know, it, I would have been all right it, with it. Go ahead. I said I would have been all right with it. I think I was probably able to handle it. Well, I mean, I I was uh, you know uh, uh, right around the same time uh, the, the Black Hole came out. Disney's The Black Hole. No, another dark and, movie. Very dark, exactly, and, and I, you know, a, a corollary I would draw between the two films is, of course, the scores by John Barry uh, for both films, which add this like degree of of uh, seriousness to it, almost, you know, epicness to it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we had darker movies back then, and, and I turned out okay, I think. I'm not, I'm not too messed up. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, no, I do. I think the, I think the, the the score here is actually pretty uh, good. I mean, it's it's nothing fantastic. to the level of uh, Max Steiner's original, but. At the same time, uh, yeah, I think it's really pretty effective. There is another part where uh, there's a scene that's scored just to Kong's heartbeat yeah. as it slows down, as he's being uh, slowly, and that's really tragic. So that's really well done. Like I said, everybody here, everybody in the movie is actually pretty good. Uh, there's a there's a there's a lot of um fun character actors. John Randolph plays the captain of the ship, uh, who's kind of always giving Fred Wilson grief. Rene Auberginois, the great oh, Robert, great. yeah, he's great. He, he has a wonderful scene where he is the one who breaks it to, to Fred Wilson yeah, about the oil. It will be oil. <laughs> it will be oil in 10,000 years. And he's like, you might as well put, what is it? I think he says you do better putting cat piss in your gasoline. You get better mileage out of it or something. <laughs> I love how much he mocks. Jack O'Halloran, non from yeah, Superman, yeah, is in right. this movie. He's got the first line in the, in the movie. So there's a bunch of kind of fun character. I mean, that was how Ed, you made... Ed Louder. Ed Louder. Ed Louder, who's yeah. great in a million movies. This was how you made movies back then. You sort of had your, you know, your stable of character actors to populate your movie with. And you tend to see a lot of the same people over and over again. It's, I mean, it, you know, you, you mentioned the, the Max Steiner score. I mean, I think that's something that John Barry was very smart about. He didn't even try to emulate that. And instead, it's this, it's this big band kind of score. Mm-hmm. There's a love theme for Kong and Duan, you know? And, and I think I, again, I, I, I think this is, this is something John Barry is very good at was, was making music that elevated the material. And I, I certainly feel like at least, you know, 30% of my fondness for this film is based almost entirely on, on John Barry's music. Hmm. Have you shown this to any of your kids yet? I haven't yet. I was actually, it's funny. I've been thinking about it because we have obviously Skull Island coming out in a few weeks and I, I've been debating. I'm like, which version of Kong should I show them? I don't know. Like, I don't know if they'll be particularly interested in the original. So I'm like, should I show them that as a historical thing? I don't, I don't really feel like sitting through the, the three hour plus right. Peter Jackson one. Right. So I'm like, okay, do I show them this? I'm, I'm, this is like my geek dad, you know, struggles trying to figure out how best to indoctrinate my children you know <laughs> yeah i said i was i was really glad to have a chance to go back and, and sort of rewatch this because this is much better than i remember and you mentioned there was a sequel in Which 1980 freaking awful king king kong oh. lives with and oh, it's john, john gillerman again i don't think i've ever even seen it or i've seen parts of it it looks oh you haven't seen it oh no, you're it looks out. terrible wow. <laughs> so bad linda it, hamilton i think right it, it, linda hamilton needed to you know, put an addition on her house or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it, it's funny because Linda Hamilton, 
who was not an unknown at this time because she had done the first Terminator. Right, already, yeah, that's post-Terminator, yeah, yeah. You know, and and so really there was no reason for her to do this movie. But she gave this quote where she was like, you know, uh, King Kong is this modern mythology and no matter what, like, this movie will live on because of King Kong. And it's like, dude, you, you misread the temperature. Uh, <laughs> I, or, or they gave you a vastly different script when you signed on because, I mean, it, there's... It is just it. It doesn't work on any level. Like it, you talk about a story that should not be sequelized is the 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 framework of the Kong story, which is the same in, in all three you know versions of the of the original movie. Uh, you can't. You just you can't. Once he falls off that building, he is dead. He's an ex Kong. <laughs> right. Movie over. It's, at yeah, that point. You, yeah. You can't bring him back. You know, and so. Uh, the, the fact that De Laurentiis had the hubris, like, it's like his hubris paid off when it came to remaking King Kong. But it was a bridge too far when he tried to sequelize it. Do you think a guy, like, is is, is the way that hot movies are made nowadays, because, I mean, obviously you're very plugged into this stuff, but, like, is there room anymore for, like, a Dino De Laurentiis, a kind of just big showman, the way, I don't know if they, I just think the, I guess that the, the way the studios run things, there just isn't a guy like that who is just like, hey, yeah. let's build a 40-foot King Kong. Let's go ahead and yeah. do it. You can do it. You can do it. Because because the the way these IPs are structured now, they're so, they're so much studio properties. So so you're not going to have a situation where Dino DeLaurentiis, a producer, will be like, hey, I'm, I'm remaking King Kong. Who wants in? Like, those ideas will come from inside the studio. Right. You know, and and yeah, I mean, th- things have changed. I mean, I mean, De Laurentiis comes from the same era that produced the Saul Kinds. You know, you couldn't see yep. the Saul Kinds today. You know, and and maybe that's for the best. I don't know. I mean, I, I think at least when it comes to Dino De Laurentiis, about half of his output was garbage. Right, right. And 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 I feel like the good ones happened almost despite him. You know, because I I don't I don't think I think he had big ideas, but but they weren't always good ideas. You know. He seemed very uh, kind of like a renaissance man. I mean, this is a guy that produced King Kong, Flash Gordon, and also Fellini's Satyricon. So, I mean, he was, <laughs> right. he was really, you know, yeah. like whatever worked, you know, for him, he was willing to do it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, Dune he did in 84. Oh, did he? His, his, oh, that's right. He did Dune yeah. as well. Yeah. The, the Conan movies, those were his. The Conan, sure. Yeah, I remember you know, seeing that and, with and, and, you know, it's funny is he did, he produced Manhunter, which is the, the first Hannibal Lecter movie. Um, and it, it didn't do that well, so he let the rights to Silence of the Lambs go. Ah, oh boy. You know, which is why Hannibal ended up being made, because he had the rights to the character. He had first refusal. So once he saw how big Silence of the Lambs was, he tried for 10 years or however long, yeah, 10 years, because it came out in 2001, to get a sequel made, because he felt like Silence of the Lambs was the one that he let get away. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, at the time, when this movie came out in the 70s, he was the face of this movie, not the director. Uh, and and not interesting? Yeah, not Jeff Bridges or Charles Grodin or Jessica Lange. It was Lang. Dino De Laurentiis' King Kong. Yeah, yeah. Which, how many producers are credited that way? Yeah, it's just that kind of big, big, bigger-than-life kind of guy. I would imagine, it's, I guess, uh, maybe the only example left of that is the Broccoli's. For the the Bond films, I mean, I sure, but 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 even then, I mean, I mean, may, are arguably when Albert Broccoli is around, but nobody thinks of them as like Michael Wilson's Skyfallers. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's Sam Mendes' film. You know, it, who gets it's it's and really it's Daniel Craig's Spectre. You know, it's it's the actor playing Bond. Yeah, that's, that's true. almost more important than in in terms of like above the line. You know, 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, this... Ar- ar- arguably Superman. You know, we're talking about Salkinds. It was Alexander Salkinds, Superman, mm-hmm. more than it was Richard Donner's, which obviously was part of the the friction between those two. Right. Yeah. 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 I said it's it's it, you really couldn't. Yeah. Right. It's Peter Jackson's King Kong, not. Dino De Laurentiis says, yeah, this is this is a Dino De Laurentiis kind of movie. I mean, he said, I can imagine that he probably maybe wasn't telling Gillerman what to do. That's probably insulting to John Gillerman, who had a very nice long career. But yeah, it, well, well, John Gillerman, you know, was at least when they made the first movie, he was he had a lot of personality conflict with uh, not just the producers but the, the cast and crew. He was a very uh, combative person when they made the original Kong. Uh, to the point that De Laurent has actually had to step in and say, "Look, get your act together, or you're you're going to hit the road." Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and then ten years later, when they did King Kong Lives, he had he was a completely different guy. But like, he had a very combative relationship uh, with with the cast and crew while making the first one. Interesting. I can imagine as a director with a movie that has this much special effects, you only have a limited influence to what you can do. Yeah. I mean, there, how much can John Gillerman influence a production when a lot of it is being done in a lab somewhere, you know, uh, with animatronic puppets or, you know, I mean, when they're making the hand carry things, it's, you know, his chance to influence the movie is when he's got his actors, you know, on right. sets and they're doing things. And, and like I said, I mean, you're right, Bridges, I think Bridges is good in the movie. I mean, he seems to kind of, he's our leading man and then he kind of, to me, flits out of the movie for, I mean, there's long passages where the movie is just Kong and Duan. Yeah. So he sort of disappears, and like I said, I think Charles Grodin, I like Charles Grodin as an actor, I think he's a very funny comedian, um, when he is directed, I think, properly, he can be an effective villain, because he's in Rosemary's Baby, and he's creepy as all get out in that movie, yeah. uh, but here, he's just, he's swinging for the fences, I mean, he's well, just I mean, so... I, I don't know that I don't know that you're meant to hate Fred Wilson, I mean, I think that's part of it, I mean, I think he's meant to be an antagonist to some extent, but I don't think the, the film even sets him up to be a hated character. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, you know, in screenwriting terms, they have there's like the save the cat moment where right. he, uh, that's like what makes a character a demon. I think I think a corollary to that would be the kill the cat moment, where that's where you hate the character. And I don't know that he like he's he's driven by self interest, but I don't know that he's a malevolent uh, character so much as he's a selfish character. Okay. And I mean, because because I mean, he, you know, uh, and, and it's and it's cut out of the film where you know, it, in the theatrical cut, we see him, we assume, get stepped on. Right. But and unless I'm misremembering, we that that's it. We assume he's dead, right? We you don't literally see him get crushed, but you assume so because he goes no, and then the foot comes down and right. That, so that's, that's the it. assumption. Yeah. So there was there was cut footage where we, we then see that like Kong stepped on his hat or something and he was like right next to his foot. And they, okay. they, in other words, they made an effort to not kill his character because he was likable enough. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to like really hate Charles Grodin just cause I think he's a genuinely like he's Charles Grodin. He's Charles Grodin. He's like, I think of him in midnight run and midnight uh, you run, know, exactly. yeah, he's just sort of an inherently likable guy. And like I said, everyone else in the, the movie is fairly interesting. Dwan, she, like I said, she flits Jessica Lang flits back and forth. I love the factoid that Meryl Streep auditioned for this part and didn't get it because uh, Dino didn't run us thought she wasn't attractive enough. Uh, I, I'm oh, trying Dino. trying to live in a parallel universe where Meryl Streep is in a King Kong movie. Like, just hey, what, right. that, <laughs> what that looks like. Like, you know, it's like, you know, she goes from King Kong to Kramer versus Kramer and, to, you know, like, goes on to this Oscar, like, trying to just picture Meryl Streep doing this. I just can't, I can't imagine it. 
But then, yeah, it's it's well, and I'm I'm imagining uh, you know '70s era Meryl Streep not being attractive. Yeah, what is yeah? What was Dino talking about? She was beautiful. Like what is? Yeah, I don't know what he was. <laughs> Dino's an interesting guy. So you know, I think I genuinely think this is a really good movie, and I was really uh, happy to watch it over again. And, and it was it's one of those. I like it when you know a movie that you kind of dismiss, and you go, ah, that wasn't that movie, and not that good. And then you know, rewatching it, it's actually pretty good. You know, this is actually this holds up really well. And I agree with you. I, I think if you're going to remake King Kong. Do something different with it. Don't just right. remake it because they did it right the first time. So tell that's us exactly something. Right. Tell us something new. And this is, and that's why uh, I'm excited about Kong Skull Island because it's not a remake of King Kong. It's a whole different it's, story. It's not beholden to the framework of the original story, um, other than Kong being on an island. You know, I mean, I think yeah. I think that's yeah. If, if you're going to turn Kong into an ongoing uh, character, I think I think what appears to be the strategy of this film, which is just the new film. I mean, which is just to, you know, ignore the, the, the 1930s one. That's the only way to do it. Because you, again, like, like we said earlier, once, once you've been through this story, Kong has to be dead. You don't get to franchise past that. (laughs) Oh no, no, he didn't die on the streets of New York. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because in King Kong lives, the whole thing, uh, what, what the film says is right after the 76 movie ends, uh, they're like, oh my gosh, he's still alive, and they like give him a heart transplant. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's like, God, who thought this was a good idea? And there's like a la- Lady Kong, and it's it's. Oh, I, I gotta see this movie. All right, it, you re- you really don't, to be honest. It's not even <laughs> so bad; it's good. It's just, it's just so bad; it's worse. You know? I'm trying to imagine where you get an enlarged heart big enough. For, yeah. For to plan transplanting King Kong. I mean, is there a human that has a heart? I don't know. Like John Goodman? I don't know. Is there someone with <laughs> enough large of a heart? I, I don't understand that premise. That's very strange to me. But uh, no, I said, this is this is a really solid movie, and uh, I'm super excited about seeing Kong Skull Island, but I'm, I'm real happy to sort of reclaim this movie, and now I kind of want to go and get some King Kong merchandise. I want to get that thing that where you can suck the straw and you shoot King Kong up the Twin Towers. There you go. Get, hit up eBay. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use it because Lord knows what Legionnaire's disease is lurking inside of a straw <laughs> from 1975. But uh, nevertheless, you know, I mean, I, I had a lot of good afternoons with one of my childhood friends playing the board game. I had it was a lot of fun. So King Kong is a great thing for a kid. It's a great oh, it absolutely kid, kid, kid character. Kids love it. Yeah, kids love it. You know, I, I've been uh, my my youngest. He's three, and and he's been watching the animated series from. I think it was the 60s. It was like a Rankin-Bass animated series where Kong is friends with this family or whatever. And I mean, he's three years old. He's just like, Kong, Kong. You know, he loves it. It's great. It's, it's easy to say when you're a kid. Yeah. Kong. Yep. And, and, you know, I mean, he's uh, he's he's currently on movie screens right now in uh, the Lego Batman movie. So That's he, right. He looms large, yeah, literally, in everybody's imagination. It's, <laughs> That's it's, right. It's a true. great, great movie. So, well, this was cool. I was really glad to have a chance to talk to you about this because I think this is a, a really fun movie i would recommend everybody go and see it, especially if you're even anywhere interested in the king kong give this movie a chance. if you've ever heard something bad about it don't listen to that go go track this down it's a, it's a right now is the time you know you have, you have the new movie coming out and, and if you're listening to this show you're already a film buff and you're, you're probably already kind of get getting psyched for the new one and you know you got lots of kong movies out there and and this is probably the one that i would say uh is 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 worth discovering or rediscovering because uh, watching it separate from the conversation around it will hopefully uh, yield something uh, fun and enjoyable for you. 
Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Zach. It was great to talk to you. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, I, I, you can always find my movie reviews at my website, zackyscorner.com. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Zachy's Corner and Instagram at Zachy's Corner. I have I've cornered that name as, as my <laughs> online uh, persona. You can also find the movie film podcast and the Nostalgia Theater podcasts at iTunes and, and Stitcher Radio, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can find my shows. And uh, looking forward to discussing the uh, Kong Skull Island whenever that comes out. Yeah, I'm sure anyone who listens to my show already listens to movie film. I don't guarantee that. But in case you don't listen to Nostalgia Theater, give that a try, too. That's a really fun show. I really enjoy that show. You, the, oh, wow. the, the interviews you get uh, for those guys, the different people talking about the, their literal experiences working on this stuff are, has been, have been terrific. So that's a really oh, wow. great show. Thank you so much for that. All right. So, uh, as always, you can find our show at our network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We have there. It's all our other great shows are there. And you can find the show over on Twitter at Film and Water Pod. So, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. Tonight, our guest is, well, the guy who made the, the biggest ape movie of them all, King Kong, Dino De Laurentiis, the producer of that movie, is here with us tonight. Uh, at the outset, uh, I'd just like to say that, well, obviously, something's wrong with your legs, sir. What, what the heck happened? Uh, my Kong, he yeah, has a good time, you know. <laughs> I had a little fun on the center with him at the Jeff and Bridges, you know. And I uh, want to grab one leg, want to grab the other leg, and say, make a wish, you know. <laughs> and uh, Kong, I beat him, you know. Kong, he... Uh, about, about the picture itself, no? Yeah. Mr. No, DeLoretis, a few members of the Hollywood press have said that with all that money, you've made over 500 pictures. Yeah. With all the money that you spent on King Kong, you could have made 20 good movies instead. You know, I make a lot of good... Reporters have called you everything from a ruthless uh, monkey pimp <laughs> to a toy commercial maker. Now, how sir do you answer these charges? I answer these charges by saying this. When a Jaws die, nobody cries. Right? When a Mike Conlon dies, everybody cries.